are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want you to take your Bible tonight, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter number 1. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 1. If you're seated under one of the tents or you're in a place where you're able to stand, once you've found your place, I'll ask you to stand with me as we read our scripture text out of honor and reverence to the Word of God this evening. Matthew, chapter number 1. Beginning in verse number 1, we read the following. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharez and Zerah of Tamar. And Pharez begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram. And Aram begat Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Naasan. Naasan begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat. Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias. Ezekias begat Manassas, Manassas begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias. Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor. And Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim. And Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Maathan. Maathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations. And from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations. From the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Our Heavenly Father, tonight, how our hearts have thrilled to be gathered with your people in your house and to feel your presence. And truly, Lord, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And tonight, as we turn our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, We pray that he might be high and lifted up. We pray that as we look upon you, that our hearts would be thrilled as we're reminded of why you came, but that we might be filled with a new vigor and determination to go out and to live for you and to serve you, understanding that you're coming again. Speak to our hearts and help us. Get honor and glory unto yourself, and we'll thank you for all that you do, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
This evening as we open our Bibles and begin to read, we find ourselves at the beginning of the New Testament. For some 400 years, there has been no word from God. When the prophet Malachi had laid aside his pen, God had ceased to speak. But now once more, God has a message for mankind. And as we open this New Testament and begin to read, the first name that appears is the name Jesus. And when we come to the close of this New Testament, and God is going to prepare to say his last word, the last name we read is the name Jesus. In fact, if you count the very words from the beginning of the New Testament and begin to count and number the words, the seventh word of the New Testament is the word Jesus. And if you go to the back and you count backwards from the end, the seventh word from the end of the New Testament is Jesus. For he is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The writer spoke correctly when he said, All in all is Jesus, of Jesus will I sing. For everything is Jesus, and Jesus is everything. In fact, if we look at the gospel accounts of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will notice that there are four different authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are each writing to a different audience. Matthew writes with the Jews in mind. Mark writes and addresses his message to the Romans. Luke is specifically interested in the Greeks and John's message is for the entirety of mankind. Every one of these writers write with a differing aspiration. They have a different goal in mind, a different purpose. Matthew wants to present a promised king. Mark wants to present a humble servant. Luke wants to present a perfect man. And John wants to present the Son of God. But though they are different authors, writing to different audiences, with differing aspirations, they all come up with the same answer. And his name is Jesus. I say, let's talk about Jesus. The King of Kings is he. The Lord of Lords supreme throughout eternity. The great I am, the way, the truth, the life, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. And can I say tonight, we must never forget that Jesus is the heart of Christmas. Without Jesus, the manger is just a straw-filled box. Without Jesus, the angels have no news to herald. Without Jesus, the shepherds have no baby to behold. Without Jesus, the star has no cause to shine. Without Jesus, the magi have no king to honor. And without Jesus, Herod has no foe to fear. Without Jesus, the Christian has no reason to celebrate. Oh, but I'm glad to report tonight that Jesus did come. And so we have cause to rejoice for joy to the world. The Lord is come. And I'm interested tonight in our text that we read. For it records for us the crooked path 
to a perfect Christ. If we were allotted the time this evening, we could trace many of the characters listed in this genealogy of the Savior. In this list, we would soon notice that there are many well-known individuals, individuals like David and Abraham and Jacob and Ruth. We would also find that this list contains many individuals whose lives are shrouded in obscurity. Men like Esram and Salathiel and Azor. But the truth of it is, if we look at all of the names on this list, we would find that it is entirely filled with individuals who are flawed. For all are sinners, and all of those in this genealogy are in need of a Savior. And thus we have the crooked path that ultimately leads us to a perfect Christ. I'm interested in the pathway to the cradle this evening. And tonight as we look, I want us to focus on just one verse, probably the most thrilling verse that we read tonight perhaps. The last verse of our scripture reading, verse number 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And tonight we're going to look and we're going to see the pathway that brought us to the cradle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I begin by noticing this first group of 14 generations that the Holy Spirit directs our attention to. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. These are generations that will climax in resplendent glory. Consider the simplicity of their origin from Abraham. Abraham is a single man, a man who is born into pagan idolatry, a man who is wed to a barren woman, a man who is bound for a hopeless eternity. Oh, but then one day he was graced by divine call and everything changed. Oh, could I just say there's no telling what God might do with your life if you would just say yes to the divine call when it comes your way. If God is speaking to you tonight, you say, I'm a nobody, I'm nowhere, I'm not doing anything. Oh, but if you'll just listen to the divine call of God tonight and say, yes, there is no telling where God could take you and how God could use you. And so we have the simplicity of its origin, this man by the name of Abraham. But then we would very quickly note the sovereignty of their care. From Abraham to David. You know that little word too encompasses a vast spectrum of time. It includes the time that they spent in bondage in Egypt. As they went down there and they lived in a strange land, being ruled by a strange lord, among people who spoke a strange language and they were engaged in a strange labor. It was not their home and their lives were made bitter by hard bondage. But oh, God was watching over them and one day God sent a man by the name of Moses and through the shed blood of the Passover lamb, God wrought a miraculous deliverance and brought those people out of Egyptian bondage and delivered them from Pharaoh's hand. Then God watched over them, though they were rebellious, 
though they refused to listen to God, though they refused to yield to God, many times their lives were characterized by murmuring and complaining, and yet God watched over them for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness. Every day they drank water from a smitten rock. Every morning they gathered manna, angels fruit, sent down from God on high. And God watched over them and cared for them and guided them and preserved them until one day they passed over Jordan and entered into the promised land. They entered into the promised land and God caused enemy after enemy to fall before them. God, by his sovereign power, knocked down the walls of Jericho. Under the direction of Joshua, God allowed these people to conquer a heathen land and make it into the land of promise and the land of plenty. Then finally, we come to the anointing of their king. There came a time when God, in his sovereign will, allowed them to have a king upon their land. And then we see not just the simplicity of their origin, not just the sovereignty of their care, but we see the splendor of their glory. Think about it now from Abraham to David. God has brought them from the childless man of old age to a kingdom who, upon whose throne sits a man after God's own heart. David took a nation that was divided by civil war and united it as one. And as a soldier, he conquered their foes. As a shepherd, he cared for their needs. As a singer, he penned their songbook. As a sovereign, he ruled their kingdom. And as a son, he symbolized their hopes. But alas, we read that the days of David drew nigh that he should die. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And that takes us from this first 14 generations that climaxed in such resplendent glory from nothing to everything. And we read, and from David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. As David passed off the scene and was succeeded by Solomon, things began to change. And while the first 14 generations were generations that climaxed in resplendent glory, these next generations are generations that are characterized by recurring guilt. It began with the defilement of their king. If we were to go back and read of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter number 11, we would read these words. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse number 4 for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, this man who God had blessed with wisdom above all men upon the earth. This man that God had blessed with a kingdom uh, uh, surrounded by peace and uh, uh, enjoying the abundance of plenty. And yet in the midst of his blessing, he turned away his heart after other gods. Oh, could I just say to you, sometimes adversity is a good thing. It's so easy for us to relax. 
It's so easy for us to become self-satisfied. It's so easy for our heart to be turned away after other things when everything is going well. And Solomon found that the wisest man who ever lived made a tragic mistake when he failed to obey the commandments of God. And the defilement of their king was followed by the decay of their nation. You see, they began to tolerate sin, but tolerance soon led to acceptance, and acceptance led to practice. As every vile habit of the heathen nations was embraced by the people of Israel, their religion became a mere formality. It was merely a veneer to cover the depths of depravity to which they had plunged. Elijah himself testified against the nation when he said the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, have thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. Oh, they turned away after other gods. God who had taken them as nothing. He said, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest or the mightiest, but because I set my love upon you. And God who had brought them to such heights of splendor and glory, and yet in the midst of their great blessing, they turned their back on God and walked away. The defilement of their king started them down that pathway. It was followed by the decay of their nation, and ultimately it resulted in the destruction of their land. When we get to Second Chronicles chapter number 36, we read these words. Moreover, all the chief of the priest and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young men or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age and gave, he gave them all into his hand. And they burnt the house of God and break down the walls of Jerusalem and burn all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof and them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Could I just say this? Sin always leads to bondage. You follow it out. Every place in scripture a person begins to follow after sin. It's just a matter of time until they find themselves held captive by its chains. The danger with sin is that the bonds of sin are too often too soft to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. And this nation that had risen to such resplendent glory is now brought into a shameful place of captivity and bondage. Oh, but while that first generation, uh, that first 14 generations were generations that climaxed in resplendent glory, and these next generations were generations that were characterized by recurring guilt, so we read of one more set of 14 generations. We read these words, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ, 
or 14 generations. You see, yes, they had done wrong. Yes, they had turned from God. Yes, they had gone into sin, and yes, they had to pay the price for it. Boy, I want to tell you the story has not ended yet. Hope is not gone. It's not time to throw in the towel because there's another 14 generations, and here are the 14 generations that will culminate in redeeming grace. Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Think about it, from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ, think of that returned remnant that came back. Now after 70 years of captivity, there's only a handful that are left. There's only a fraction of what had once been. And as they come back from captivity and as they enter into the land, they're facing a lot of difficulties. I mean, after all, they're dealing with limited resources. They're facing local resistance. They are haunted by lamenting reminders of what once had been and how small this seems in comparison to what they once knew. But through it all, God is watching. Think of the silent season. For 400 years, there is absolutely not one word from God. The Persians march across the scene of the world stage only to be replaced by the Grecians. And upon the death of Alexander the Great and the division of his kingdom into four parts as was prophesied by the prophet Daniel, this paved the way for Rome to march on to the scene of world history. And soon all the world felt the iron grasp of Roman power. And through it all, as it all unfolded, God sat by in silence. Oh yes, there was a return remnant who were very small. There was a silent season as God said nothing. Oh, but it was all a part of a providential plan. For when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Oh, Matthew, I believe that Matthew could not wait to get started as the Holy Spirit began to move upon his heart to write these words. He begins in verse number one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Oh, I like how he starts out. He begins with two great heroes, David and Abraham. He talks about Christ as the son of David. When we talk about the son of David, most often we're thinking of Solomon. David had a son who was a sovereign. When we think about the son of Abraham, we think of Isaac. And Isaac was the son who became the sacrifice. And oh, is not that the story of Christmas? That there was a sovereign on high, the son of God, who humbled himself and wrapped himself in a robe of flesh was brought into the world through the virgin womb, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Why? Because he, by the sacrifice of himself, would be the answer for the curse of sin that had afflicted all mankind. I think of Abraham, his greatest triumph. If we look at his life and we mark the high point of Abraham's life, we would say probably that it occurred on a mountain, Mount Moriah, it was when he was willing to give his own son, his own flesh and blood, as it were, as a sacrifice to God. And I would say of David that David's greatest victory occurred in a valley as he walked into the valley of Elah and faced the foe that Israel cowered before. Oh, and when I think of Jesus, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. Oh, he won the greatest victory that has ever been won as one day he walked up a mountain called Calvary and went down into the valley of death and gained, uh, attained victory over sin, over death, over hell, and the grave. And by it, he opened the doorway of salvation to whosoever will. And this is why we celebrate. This is why we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. You see, the pathway to the cradle was not a straight pathway. It was not an easy pathway but it was a pathway designed by sovereign God who from the very beginning saw his son as the only solution to the sin of mankind. Could I just say this tonight? The story of Israel is our story. It's your story. It's my story. Oh yes, it all begins with resplendent glory. For we were made in the image of God. From the very moment of conception, God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living soul created in the image of God for fellowship and worship with Him. But tragically, like Israel, from the very moment of our birth, our lives are characterized by recurring guilt. The psalmist said they go astray from the womb. From the very moment of our birth, that old sin nature begins to rise up and we begin to rebel against God. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh, but tonight there is hope. There is hope because of redeeming grace. Because Jesus came, there is hope. No wonder the angel said, Thou shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Where are you tonight? Are you one of those who has experienced that saving grace? Can you remember the day and the hour when that divine call reached out to your heart and your life and you said yes to the invitation can you look back and see how God has changed your life through redeeming grace? Maybe this Christmas season would be a good time to come aside from the busyness of life, come aside from the hustle and bustle, the activity of the day, and spend a few minutes with a bowed knee saying, thank you, God, for coming to this world. Thank you for coming to this world as a baby, but thank you for living a sinless life and dying a substitutionary death and becoming the payment for my sin that I could never hope to pay for so that I might have eternal life. Maybe you're here tonight. You say, really, I'm stuck at recurring guilt. I know nothing of redeeming grace. Can I say tonight, that's why Jesus came, was for you. He came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And could I say in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. When that invitation is given, I want to urge you to slip from wherever you're at and come forward. We'll have someone take the word of God and show you how you can say yes to Jesus Christ tonight. And when you leave tonight, you can carry the spirit and the joy of Christmas with you in your heart as Christ resides within in the person of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. 
For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.